Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I plan to begin a new series of sermons today on the book of Ezra. And to that end, I invite you to turn with me to Ezra chapter 1 as we read the verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of God. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. This ends the reading of the holy and infallible word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, have you ever received such good news that you simply couldn't believe it was true? Imagine, for example, you were in jail for many years, and you never thought you would ever be set free. And then one day, the warden comes with a guard. He unlocks the door of your cell and tells you that you are free to go. How would you respond to that? Well, I'm sure like most people, you would be utterly shocked. What is this, you would say? Free to go? Free to return to my home, my wife, and my children? It can't be. How is this possible? Well, the Jews in Babylon must have experienced something similar. They had been captives in Babylon for some 70 years as punishment for their sin of idolatry. And as a result, many believed that they would never again see the promised land. But then one day they heard the news. Cyrus, the head of the Persian Empire, issued a decree allowing and even encouraging the Jews to go home. And as we'll see, although Cyrus issued the decree, ultimately this decree came from God himself. God himself declared that the exile was over. It was hard to believe, but it was true. The Jews at last were permitted to go home. Well, with this in mind and God's help, let's take a closer look at this decree and seek to draw some lines of application to today. My theme is, God through Cyrus declares the end of the exile. And we'll consider, first of all, the sovereignty he exercises, secondly, the faithfulness he displays, and thirdly, the mercy he extends. According to verse 1 of our text, the events of our text took place in the first year of 
Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, Persia was located several hundred miles to the east of Judah in modern-day Iran. Cyrus, also known as Cyrus II or Cyrus the Great, was the ruler of this region. He ruled over it from 559 to 529 BC. Cyrus was a capable military commander, and he greatly expanded Persia's borders through a series of rapid and stunning conquests. In the year 538, in fact, he defeated the Babylonians, which at that time was the world's great superpower. And this allowed him to become the greatest ruler on earth. Well, one year after defeating the Babylonians, Cyrus issued a proclamation allowing the Jews to return to their home. And the details of the proclamation are recorded in verses 2 through 4, which we read earlier. There Cyrus is quoted as saying, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Now you notice what Cyrus says here. First of all, he acknowledges that all the kingdoms of the earth have been given to him by God. Now, that, of course, was a bit of an overstatement. The truth is, Cyrus ruled over only a fraction of the kingdoms of the earth. He didn't rule over Europe or Africa or North America or South America or large parts of Asia. He ruled only over the region which we today know as the Middle East. But as nothing was known of these other regions, from Cyrus's perspective, he ruled over all the kingdoms of the earth. Secondly, you notice he declares that the Lord commanded him to build a house for him at Jerusalem. Now, how God communicated that to him, we don't know. It's possible that God revealed himself to Cyrus in a vision. It's also possible that Cyrus was made aware of the prophecy of Isaiah 44, verse 28. There, the prophet Isaiah predicts that a future ruler would rebuild his temple in Jerusalem. And he even said that his name would be Cyrus. Well, knowing this, it may be that Cyrus was determined to fulfill this prophecy. Thirdly, he says here that he permitted the Jews to return to Judah to rebuild the temple. Now, the original temple, the Temple of Solomon, had been destroyed by the Babylonians some 70 years earlier. But now Cyrus grants permission for the Jews to rebuild it. Fourthly, he encouraged the Jews who remained behind to support those who decided to return with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, beside the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Now, needless to say, this is all very impressive. Not only had Cyrus permitted the Jews to go home and rebuild the temple, he even encouraged the citizens of his realm to give for this cause. 
Now, based on this, some have wondered if Cyrus was a true believer, but most likely he was not. Like so many of his contemporaries, Cyrus was a polytheist. He believed in the God of Israel, to be sure, but he also believed in many other gods. And we know that because in verse 3, he conveys the hope that for those who decide to return to Jerusalem, that the Lord his God might be with him. Notice he doesn't say not he doesn't say the Lord God, but rather the Lord his God. He may be God for you, but not necessarily for me. What is more, in the same verse, Cyrus says, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Now we can also translate that last phrase as he is the God which is in Jerusalem. And if that's correct, then by making that statement, Cyrus was declaring that God's sphere was limited. He was not the only God that had rule, kingship over the entire world. Yes, he was God. He was a God, but his authority was limited only to Jerusalem and the surrounding region. It didn't extend over the entire world. Now, Cyrus's view of God is still very common today. There are still many people who believe what Cyrus did. If they acknowledge the existence of God at all, they certainly do not acknowledge his sovereignty over all things. He is God, they say, but his authority is limited. And even believers can be guilty of this. We can acknowledge God's sovereignty, but not always completely. There are areas in our life that we prefer to keep to ourselves, aren't there? It could be our work life, it could be our family life, our marriage life, our school life. We want to be free to listen to the kind of music we want to listen to and read the kind of books we want to read and watch the kind of movies and TV shows we want to watch and we want to run our business the way we want to run it. Yes, we're prepared to accept the sovereignty of God over some areas of our life, but not all. My friend, this is wrong. The truth is, if we are a true believer, then everything that we have, everything that we do and say and think is under the sovereignty of God. Cyrus didn't understand that. Nevertheless, at least Cyrus openly and publicly acknowledged the name of God, which is more than we can say for most other government officials today, including our political leaders who openly deny him and pass laws that are clearly contrary to to his will. Now, in that respect, Cyrus is an example for all of us, isn't he? Many Christians today are afraid to acknowledge God openly. We're afraid of what others around us might think and how such an acknowledgement might affect our relationship to them. But, dear friends, if we are true Christians, we should not be ashamed to acknowledge him. And if we are, then there will be serious consequences. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So let us learn from Cyrus and let us acknowledge the Lord as openly as he did. So Cyrus permitted the Jews to return home. Now you notice he did not do this of his own accord. Cyrus didn't wake up one morning and say, well, I'm going to allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem so they can rebuild the temple of God. No, God was involved in this. 
And we read in verse 1 that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now what God did exactly to prompt Cyrus to issue this proclamation, we don't know. One thing we do know, that God doesn't treat us like robots. Rather, he influences us and he bends our will so that it conforms to his will. That's also what he did with Cyrus. He stirred up his spirit. That means he, he planted in his heart a desire to do his will, even though he himself was not fully aware of it. One commentator writes this, and I quote, he says, Here we see the sovereign hand of God working through the processes of history. He does not stand apart from the clash of national and international affairs and the rise and fall of nations, but in his sovereign power overrules all things and directs the events of this world according to his purpose. My friend, God still does the same today. We live in dark times, morally, spiritually, politically, economically. Sometimes we may even wonder where this world is heading, and it can frighten us. It can make us feel unsettled and uncertain. But let us remember that God is in control. He is accomplishing his purposes even through wicked and ungodly rulers. What does Solomon say in Proverbs 21 verse 1? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And so let's not lose heart, dear friends, but let us continue to trust in the Lord. And let us continue to let our light shine even in this dark world in which we live. And so in permitting the Jews to return home, God was exercising his sovereignty. But he was also displaying his faithfulness. And that brings us to our second point. God had stirred up the spirit of Cyrus to allow the Jews to return home. But that begs the question, why did he do this? Was he just feeling sorry for his covenant people, the Jews? Did he just suddenly come to the conclusion that they had been punished long enough and that it was time to return to normal? Well, that's not the case at all. So why then did he do it? Well, we have an answer to that question in verse 1 of our text. There we read that the reason why Cyrus issued this decree, or rather, the reason why God stirred up the heart of Cyrus to issue this decree, was so that, and I quote, so that the word of the Lord might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah the prophet. Now, the reference here is to Jeremiah 29, the verses 10 through 14. I want to quote these words. There God says, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. So here God, through his servant Jeremiah, promises some 200 years before this, that after 70 years in captivity, he would bring his people back to the promised land. 
And what is even more remarkable is, as we saw earlier, that Isaiah, in Isaiah 44, verse 28, predicted that a man by the name of Cyrus, no less, God's anointed and shepherd, would be the means by which he would secure their release. And that's exactly what happened. God was faithful to his promise. He allowed his people to return home just as he had said. Dear friends, God is still the same today. Still today, God is faithful to his promises, all of them. They say, well, what are these promises? Oh, there are so many of them. The Bible is full of the promises of God, isn't it? In our church, when someone is baptized, we read a form which summarizes that what the Bible teaches about baptism. Now, as a sacrament, baptism signifies and seals to us the promises of God in the covenant of grace. And these promises are spelled out in our form. And there we confess that when we are baptized in the name of the Father, God the Father promises to adopt us as his children and heirs, to provide for us body and soul, and to avert all evil or turn it to our profit. (coughs) Then it goes on to say that when we're baptized in the name of the Son, God the Son promises to wash us in his blood from all our sins, incorporating us into the fellowship of his death and resurrection, so that we are freed from all our sins and accounted righteous before God. And when we're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit promises to dwell in us, to sanctify us, to be members of Christ, applying unto us that which we have in Christ, namely the washing away of our sins and the daily renewing of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without imperfection among the assembly of the elect in life eternal. Now, this is just a summary of the promises that the triune God makes to every believer in Christ and their children. And these are wonderful promises, so wonderful that we may well wonder at times if they're really for us. After all, who are we and what have we done to deserve these promises? We're nothing. And we've done nothing. We are nothing. We have nothing. In fact, we have forfeited every blessing on account of our sin. And yet God comes to us and he makes us these wonderful promises. And he will fulfill them in his own time and in his own way. You say, well, how can I be so sure of that? Well, listen. If God promised his people during the days of Jeremiah that their descendants would return to the land of promise and he was faithful to that promise... Will he not also fulfill the promises he made to us? Of course he will. Of that there can be no question. So do not doubt God's faithfulness. He will be faithful even when we are not. The hymn writer expresses it so well when he says, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great indeed is the faithfulness of our God. But there's another reason why God stirred up the heart of Cyrus to allow the Jews to go home. It was not just to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. It was also to advance his redemptive purposes. You know, the devil must have thought he had scored a major victory after the Babylonians conquered the land of promise. Some 120 years earlier, the Assyrians had taken the ten northern tribes captive and scattered them across their empire. Well, now the Babylonians did the same to the tribe of Judah. 
But it's more, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, the holy city of God, and the temple of Solomon. It appeared as though the covenant line would finally come to an end. But that didn't happen. For God preserved his people, yes, even in Babylon. And at the end of 70 years, he called them home through Cyrus the king. And as we can read later in this chapter, they responded in droves. They returned to the land and they rebuilt the temple and the city in Jerusalem. Now in this way, God ensured that his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would be fulfilled. Namely, that their descendants would inhabit the land forever and that in them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. For from these returned exiles, hundreds of years after these events, would come the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom, upon believing on his name, both Jew and Gentile would receive the pardon of all of their sins and the gift of everlasting life. And so what initially appeared to be a great setback for the redemptive purposes of God proved in the end to be a great step forward. The devil thought he had achieved the victory, but the victory, as always, belongs to the Lord. And so through this decree, God displayed his faithfulness. But he also extended his mercy. And that brings me briefly to my third and final point. In allowing the Jews to go home, God manifested his great mercy. For generations, the people of Judah, like the people of Israel before them, worshipped idols. And God sent prophet after prophet to warn them and to urge them to turn from their wicked ways. But they didn't listen. They continued to worship their idols until the day they were carried away into Babylon. They even killed the prophets of the Lord. And for that reason, God would have been perfectly just to allow his people to languish in Babylon forever. But he didn't do so. Instead, through Cyrus, he allowed them to go home. We see here something of the boundless mercy of our God. His mercy is so great that it cannot be measured. And beloved, he's still the same today. Still today, the Lord deals with us in boundless love and mercy. And he manifests that in various ways, doesn't he? By providing for us and all of our material needs, food and drink and shelter and clothing, By providing for us and all of our spiritual needs. By giving us his word and the church and the sacraments for the strengthening of our faith. But especially he manifests his mercy by sending his only begotten son into the world to suffer and to die for our sins. And promising that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, there can be no greater display of God's mercy than the gift of of his only begotten Son. Now you say, well, how can God be so merciful to unworthy, hell-deserving sinners like us? Well, it's only because of his Son. He paid the penalty for our sins. He suffered and died and rose again. He also ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of his Father in glory. And from there he intercedes for us pointing to his atoning sacrifice as the basis upon which God should be merciful. And when God hears the pleas of his Son, he hears and answers. He shows mercy where mercy is not deserved. 
And he restores us to himself. And he permits us to enter into the ultimate promised land. To heaven itself. Where we may live and reign with him forever and ever. Oh my friends, is that not wonderful? Is this not amazing? Is not this reason enough to praise and to magnify the name of our God? And so God, through Cyrus, declared an end to the exile. He called his people to return home. What about you today? Do you realize that God in our text is also calling you to return home? Maybe some of you have been living in sin. You've tried to put it to death, but without a lot of success. You wish you could be set free once and for all. Or maybe you feel far from God, like the people of Judah. You feel that you're in exile, far from home. You cry out to God, but he doesn't seem to hear you. You thirst for God, but he doesn't reveal himself to you. My friend, God calls you to return. He stands like the father of the prodigal son, scanning the horizon, yearning for you, beckoning you, drawing you. And he has sent a deliverer who is far greater than Cyrus, king of Persia. He has sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Cyrus had a unique role in God's plan and purpose. God used him to set his people free. But Christ, however, would set his people free in ways that Cyrus never could. For he would suffer and die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has issued a decree and caused it to be published by the mouth of his servants that whoever repents of their sin and believes on his name will be delivered from exile and will enter into everlasting life. And once again, this decree has been proclaimed to you today. How will you respond to that decree? Will you return to him? Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program, on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address 
is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit our webpage and make a donation right on our webpage. Again, our webpage is BannerOfTruthRadio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.